Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Take a moment as well. Say, great to have you here today. I'm Dan. I'm serving as one of, the, well, serve as the pastor. I guess we don't have, we have pastors around somewhere, but uh, I serve in that role here and I, I really appreciate the opportunity that we can have today to gather like this each and every week. Uh, so I hope that you can come back and be with us. But we've been in a series called More Than Meets the Eye. And the, the theme with it, this whole idea is going beyond ourselves. Because as much as it's wonderful, and especially in the new year of improving ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with self-improvement, nothing wrong with self-discipline, but self only goes so far. You know, I've already, whatever health plan I am, I'm already slipping a little bit in the thing. Just to be honest with you. Like, I got to get back in. And discipline is good. Sometimes they'll be on, there's issues in our life that go beyond ourselves. And where do we to, how do we get beyond ourselves? Well, we can't always just look within. We've got to look without and look to the one that really can help us. And last week we talked about, as, as we try to do better in life, many times we can struggle taking control. And as much as it's good to take control of our life, the problem happens is that we try to take too much control of it. And we try to control what we're doing, and then we control others and circumstances, and it doesn't work too well, and our lives become out of control. So I don't know how you did of relinquishing control, but why I found in my life this week was it was a little bit of doing okay, and then grabbing a hold of it, going a little bit, grabbing hold of it. And life's like that, like, okay, I'm releasing to you, Lord, you know, I'll let go, let God, and then all of a sudden, oh, you know, a moment happens in our life. And that's just the way it goes. But the danger happens when we don't let go, when we don't relinquish control in our life. What can creep in is this, these consequences, and that is of, of worry, of stress, of fear, and today, specifically, we're going to talk about anxiety, anxiety that's in our life, and because we're, we're having a tough time letting go. And we're going we're gonna to look at a familiar person in Scripture here in, in, in a bit, but how many know we are an anxious culture, aren't we? We are a very, very anxious culture. It's just, it's, it's amazing that you, you, when you look at it, like, why are we? And there's a lot of reasons why they're there. Uh, you know, the, even the, the, a lot of the guys that are on stage here, they represent a generation called the, the Generation Z. And they're statistically, it, it's said that 91% of high school, young adult age in Generation Z struggle with anxiety. If we talk to any of them, they, there's, there's some reasons for that. Many of it can connect with social media and you're comparing yourself with others. And there's, a, there's just a lot that goes in and there's some lack of structure in, in homes and growing up. There's a lot of reasons, right, we can list. But it's not just the younger people that deal with anxiety. We all deal with anxiety at some level. Especially when you go through phases and stages of life, right? We do. We, we go through situations and circumstances where things just happen. You know, it just, you know, people are dying. I mean, my, my aunt passed away yesterday. She's very elderly, but it's a loss. We go through we go through job changes. We go through relationship struggles. We go through money problems. There's just so many things that do bring and, and take on anxiety in our lives. And the challenge today is a lot of people just don't know how to cope and what to do and where to turn to. So as we talk about anxiety here in a moment, I want to just say a couple things just before we get into it. First of all, I'm a preacher, not a, a, a counselor, okay? I'm not a psychologist. I'm, I'm a pastor. And so if you're battling, you really are 
And it's always the first step is admitting it, which is important. If you are saying, man, I'm really struggling with anxiety. I know today what I'm going to share is, I believe it's going to be helpful. But here's the thing. You're, it's something that might, it is beyond you and it's important to get help. So after service, if you would like to talk to somebody, even in our Care and Connection team, or you can mark on a connection card and drop it off the back and say, I need a, a referral list. In fact, I was talking to somebody right after service, and I told them, write your name in there, and we'll get you a list of, of qualified counselors who can really help you, professionals that can help you with that. The second thing I want to share is that I understand if you're going through anxiety, I relate with you. I am one of you. I am one of you. I I, I wrestled whether to share my story because the theme is more than meets the eye. I don't like, I'll make it about me. But I, I feel Lord even prompted me this morning because I even, I honestly was even driving here like, oh, do I need to talk about me again? And I just felt like the Lord wanted me to, to mention this, that I struggled big time with it. It was several years ago here, passing the church, that uh, we, and specifically, I needed to make a, a leadership decision, and we had to let go of a person on our, our staff team, part-time person on our team, but as much as they had a small role, they had a big influence, but it was the right decision, not, not regretting any decision we need to make. It was for the sake of the universe church, it really, really was an important decision, uh, but as you know in things in life that you, sometimes you go, I had no idea what the impact that would, that would have and the, and the crackling that it would happen and, and the impact in our church as we saw people leave the church, not only leave the church, very angry, angry toward me. Uh, words were spoken to me that were very mean and hurtful. Uh, but it's not about them. It's about me. It's about how I handled it. And I wish I would have handled it better, honestly. I wish I would have handled it better. I wish I was able to not take it so personal. But you've gone through things like I've gone through where it just kind of hits you at the bedrock of your life. And it can be very, very impactful. So my Symptoms of anxiety got worse and worse and worse. Uh, I, I, I started developing chest pains. And it would go out throughout the day. It wasn't all day, but throughout the moments of my day when I thought about what was going on or I'm trying to fix what's going on, it affected me greatly. Uh, I went to the doctor. I had, there's a heart uh, condition or heart disease in my family and all that. My parents both died of heart disease. And so I, I went to the doctor. The doctor basically said, he, he cleared me. He says, you're, you're fine. There's nothing, there's nothing physically wrong with you, which we were glad to hear that. But you need to see somebody. You need to talk to somebody. And so I went and met with a counselor. And the counselor was really, really helpful just to talk through what was going on. I, I, I described my symptoms, not only the pain, but I would, I would be sitting and, or I would be laying down even. And it was like almost this cascading feeling it happened. Like, I feel like the walls are closing in on me. And, and like, I, it was like, I felt like times I would have, I'd actually have little dreams. I was being buried alive. It was a scary, scary time. And it just, and I was, I, and I, the, the panicky feelings that were over me and everything like that was happening. And I shared everything with him and he was sympathetic. And then he says, this is what you're going to do. So I, he had me sit across from him. This is what you want you to do. I want you to, I want you to breathe. I, I mean, I mean um, done, check, I'm doing that. No, no, really breathe. I mean, I, I really want you to take some breaths. And so he, he had me like, okay, inhale. Okay, exhale. Okay, inhale. Exhale. And he had to do that. And, and actually, like, I do feel better. And I want, to, I want you to practice with me. Can we just practice breathing here for a moment? Can we do that together? I don't want to be the only one weird in doing this. Uh, so I want you just to, I want you to inhale and exhale. Can we do that together? 
Okay, breathe out. Take another breath and in. Okay, one more. Breathe in. Some of you are like, oh, someone needs a breath mint right now. I'm kidding. Uh, uh, so <laughs> you're reaching for one. Uh, it was helpful. Actually, some of you are like, now, thank you for allowing us to do that. That's helpful, isn't it? That's really, really good. But that didn't fix me. <laughs> you know, sometimes people say time heals all things. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, it, counseling's good. Getting help is good. Talking to people are good. And we're going to get into kind of some help with that. But, but Jesus is good. And when we go beyond ourselves, we look to the one that can help us with the anxiety that we have. This week, praying through, saying, I really feel like the Lord wanted me to speak on this. And, 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 and I had planned this weeks ago. I, I knew this is the week talking about it. Actually, it was going to bump it another week. Oh, that seems like a tough one. And the Lord says, no, this is the week to share about it. And the scripture that he gave me just to start off was in, was in Philippians 4. In Philippians 4, Paul didn't write this from a, a soft chair, Woods Coffee with his latte. He wrote it from prison. And he wrote these words. This is how in Philippians 4, he says, The Lord is near. Can you say that with me? The Lord is near. Man, that hit me this week. The Lord is near. We're going to come back to that at the, at the end of our message here. But then the next part says this. So the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And I read that sometimes. I don't know about you, but let's be honest. You go, yeah, right. <laughs> really? Do you ever go like, do not be anxious about anything? How about, how about I'm anxious about everything? <laughs> right? Do you ever do that? Am I the only one going, that, really, that's kind of impossible, God. Anything? You know, like, I love when King James says, anxious, be anxious for nothing. Oh, really? Some of you would do, have you seen my life? Have you seen what I've gone through and the experience I have? Some, some of you go like, that's tough. And yet, what we find in the scripture is this, that there's a promise. There's a promise that God gives that we're going to read at the end of this, these verses here, but there's already this front-ended loaded statement that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. So as we talk about anxiety here for a moment, maybe your anxiety, my anxiety, and whatever level it is, we can look to Scripture. And we, look, we can look to examples in Scripture to help us go on it. Can we identify with anybody? The one that I would like to identify this morning is Elijah. Elijah. He's an Old Testament prophet that we're going to turn to in 1 Kings 19 here in a moment. But if you don't know much about Elijah, he is like the stud prophet. Like he's the prophet that you could ever imagine being the prophet of like of all prophets. Like he's the big one, right? You know, you got the, you got the, you got the minor prophets in scripture and Obadiah and the other ones that I can't remember their names. And then you got Elijah, you got Isaiah, Isaiah. These guys are major dudes and God used Elijah in amazing ways. But here's the interesting thing in the dark, in the darkest time of his, in Israel's history, Elijah is the only prophet of God during this time. He's the only prophet of God. And all these other prophets turn to false gods and idols and everything. He's really the only guy around. And God says to him, I want you to go to King Ahab. And I want you to give him the what for. I want you to tell him, listen, 
if you don't repent, if you don't turn away from your wicked ways, I'm going to bring a drought upon the land. So Elijah goes to him, he goes, get out of my face, I don't want to deal with you. And guess what? Three years, there was a drought in the land and famine and suffering and everything like that. And, and Elijah basically has, has to kind of flee for his life at times. And, and, and the Bible describes miraculously God provided him, like, you know, ravens delivered bread and like, you know, meat fell from the sky. And, and Elisha then in the midst, God used him to like raise this boy from the dead. I mean, there's all these things. Things, incredible stories God has that happened for Elisha. But what's interesting is, is that, that, that it, things come to a head. Things are coming to a place. And so pretty soon there's this standoff that takes place. And the Bible describes in 1 Kings 18 of where there is this showdown, you call it at sundown, actually Mount Carmel, where there is this battle that goes on in the, in the heavenlies where where Elijah is the only prophet facing 850 false prophets. And they have this showdown where uh, the 850 prophets, they end up like trying to like coerce their gods to come down and bring fire from heaven to consume this, this sacrifice. And they pray and they seek and they, they're, they're mutilating. It's gross what's happening, but they're doing all this to try to get their attention and none of it works. And they're, they're defeated and they're tired and everything. And then Elisha gets up and goes, okay, my turn. Prays, asks the Lord to bring down fire for him and, and heaven and comes down, consumes the, the, the offering, everything, and end up, these 850 prophets are put to death. It's just a gruesome thing that happened. But what it was, it was just a massive amount of victory. And Elijah is the lone standing prophet at the end of it all. High victory. Like, way to go, God, and all that he did. But guess what? It really, really made some people mad. Not only made King Ahab mad, but made his wife mad. And his wife, I mean, you know, King Ahab was bad, but King Ahab is compared to Pope Francis compared to his wife Jezebel, who was just flat out evil. She was just evil. And she puts a, a hit on Elisha and, and is ready to take him down. And we read in 1 Kings 19 that we're going to turn to this morning, where he's at the top of his game. He's at the very place and he experiences utter defeat by knowing this woman is out to get him. This one woman is out to take him out. And he loses it. It says this that in, in verse 2, it says, So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me but ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. One of them was one of these 850 prophets. Elisha loses it. His life falls apart. He's going from hero to fugitive. His, his life spins out of control. And he goes in a deep depression and anxiety that many of us can relate with when it comes to dealing with the emotions that we have. But when he, when we, what we learn here is... We learned that he made some mistakes. You can learn a lot from people's successes, but you can even learn a lot more from someone's mistakes. And he made some mistakes. In fact, he four critical mistakes that maybe you have done before and I've done and allowed to happen in my life that really did not help me deal with the anxiety in my life. 
Here's what Scripture says that Elisha did. It says, Elisha was afraid, ran for his life, and when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and while he, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Now notice how irrational he is. He's going from, he's running from his life to going, I want to die, right? He just comes at the end and, and, and really this, this, he says, I've had enough. Here's the question for you is, when have you had enough? When have you had enough? Some of you are sitting here today and like, I think I've had enough. I've, I've had enough financial problems. Thank you very much. I've had enough bills that pile up. I've had enough health issues. I've had enough relationship struggles. I've had enough of crazy schedules and, and this, this treadmill I'm on. It's hard to get off. I've had enough problems in my life. Some of you older generation, you, you, you would say you're, you're at the Popeye moment. You know what the Popeye moment is? All that I can stand, but I can't stand no more. You remember that? Popeye the sailor man. Okay. You've been there before. Are you there right now? And the emotional strain, and you felt like I felt, like the world's kind of caving in, and you just feel like you just, you can't even breathe, and people tell you to breathe, and you want to punch them, because I know I need to breathe, and you just, you're going through what you're going through. You've had enough. Well, what do you do? Well, don't do what Elijah did. Don't do what other people do and not handling the anxiety in their life. First is this. This is what you don't do. When you had enough, this is what we contend to do is this. We shouldn't do is we run away or just get run down. We run away or just get run down. Psychologists, they, you know, you know this, these terms probably already is this, it's kind of fight, flight, or freeze, right? You know, Elijah, he, he put up the fight. I mean, he was fighting for a while and then it was too much for him and then he fled. And then some of us, like I did, I just, I just kind of, fr- fr- I remember I was going through anxiety. I just kind of froze for a moment. I remember Hillary, who's, who's our assistant, works in our office. I mean, she came in after everything was crashing down around and she's like, are you okay? And I didn't really have to answer her. I literally was at that place and she just sat in a chair right across from me and she goes, I'm just going to sit here and pray for you. That's all she did. There's people in our life that did that. But I wasn't running. I was frozen. But what was happening is my emotions were running amok. And, and in fact, my anxiety was such a level that I, would, I was trying to put out fires. I was trying to meet with people and kind of convince them of why this is important. We had to do this. And, and I, was, I was losing as I was going. Every conversation was getting worse and worse and worse. And it was just this cascading, like, like basically the place is like on fire and burning down feeling that, that came over me. Some of you have experienced the same thing where you just, it's that fight or flight and at times you can fight. And that's, and that's what Elisha did. He, he fought, but then it was too much. And what did he do? He fleed. The scripture says Elisha was afraid and ran for his life. And he ran to a place called Beersheba. And Beersheba, if you look on a map, it was actually the really farthest way he could run. It was like 100 miles. He runs, like four marathons to get away. And he's at the place of exhaustion. You know, for me, I didn't run away. And then that's not always the response of fleeing. But we, we can flee in other ways. We can, again, let our, our emotions just go off the edge. Maybe you've been in a season of anxiety that, that that's happened. You're just, just out of control. And, and you don't run away, but you got run down. 
And that's what happened to Elijah. He got ran down, run down emotionally that brought him to this brink that, that, where he was. That was a, that's a mistake that people make. That when they're dealing with it, they just run or they ru- get run down. The other thing is, mistake we can make is we can isolate ourselves. It says when, when Elisha came into Judah, he left his servant there. So he's going to go away. And then the, he goes, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'm moving on without you. And that was a huge mistake. And we can tend to do that, can't we? When we're going through what we're going through, you know what happens is, is that we isolate people. We isolate people in our lives. I'm, I'm thankful in my own life that my wife was there. She didn't let me do that. She says, no, I'm going to, wherever you go, I'm going. I'm not, you can't say no for an answer. And, and going through, how I many I've had some spouses and just, you're, you're, you're just, they're there with you. But many of us can isolate ourselves and maybe, maybe we're around people, but we're not bringing any people in our life. We're not bringing people in this, our story of struggle. I love the stories of Sharon and, and Linda that shared about that, especially Sharon. She said, hey, I struggle with what's going on. And she, I think one of them used the word vulnerability. I was willing to be vulnerable and my group embraced my vulnerability and it helped me and encouraged me and, and helped me through. And I think Sharon said, you know, I felt dumb because I didn't know the Bible and everything, but I was able to be honest and I, I grew in that and all that. And I think for all of us, this reality is we all need a group. We all need a group. We all need a circle. Rows are great. Rows are good, but you can hide in the rows. You can come, you can go, and hide in the rows. And sometimes rows kind of help you work through your working through. At some point, you need a circle. And that's what groups are about. Don't isolate yourself. There's people that can relate with you, right? You're going, you think you're the weirdest duck in the world, and you're like, and people go like this, like, me too, like, you're not, you're weird too. No, we're all weird together. We're all, we're all struggling through what we're struggling through. And don't let that, don't miss the opportunities. I love Josh, our, our small group director. He does a great job training and coaching leaders to say, create, create a safe space for people to be able to share their struggles. So important we do that. Don't run. Don't isolate. The other thing is we do, if we do those things, is this is what happens. We focus on the negative. Focus on the negative. That's what Elijah did. He, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, prayed, then he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And, and we can do the same thing. We can just go negative. We got no better than anybody else. I'm not going to, you know, my, my parents were this way. You know, my, my child was jacked up. My, my, my life is, my parents messed up. My siblings, and this is my life right now. And this is the way it is. And we, we take our negativity of the past into the present. It's like, hey, life's falling apart. My job sucks. This happens. This going on. And we complain and we complain and let people know. And we t- tell people how bad it is online. And we let everybody go. And at the end of the day, what happens, this is the, this is the dangerous thing, is we say, my life's this way and it won't change. And what we do is we go down that dangerous, dangerous road of negativity because we ran, we isolate ourselves, and ultimately we do this. This is a dangerous mistake. We forget God. We just forget God. In the midst of it, we're so consumed with our lives. We're so, we do not go beyond that meets the eye in our life. And we struggle big time. And here's the irony of Elijah is this. His name means something pretty significant. His name actually means my God is Yahweh. <laughs> His very name is, tells everything about him. His very identity is of following God. He rejects God. Now, think about, man, can, we can do the same thing in our life. Our name might not be this, but we, are, we forsake our very identity in Christ because we, we forsake him. 
He left it, and yet God did not leave him in his darkest moment. Verse 5, it says that he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. And we've done that, right? Like, I'm just done. I'm going to bed. Now, by the way, naps are wonderful. I think naps are spiritual. Don't you think, some of you? Now, when you're a preschool, that was not. That was, that was bad. Naps, naps where you could not play. You had to, you know, okay, lay your mat out. Shut the lights off. And like me, I was laying there like, you know, I'm bugging the next kid. Danny, you need to be quiet. It's nap time. I hated nap time. My kids hated nap time. But as adults, we would pay $100 for a nap right now. We would. We love naps. Naps are, naps are deeply, deeply spiritual. But sleeping your own problems away do not work. At the end, this is what happens. The Lord meets him here. It says, at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I love this. You know, I, I say, hey, if you need counseling, get counseling. But here's some, here's some free advice. Is that God's ready to give us a nap and a snack. He's ready to give us something. That's cheap therapy. He said, I want to meet with you. This is what it says. He looked around. Elijah looked around. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. And a jar of jam. No, a jar of water. And he ate and drank. And then laying down again, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by the food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave, spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. And here's what the the question was the Lord gave. What are you doing here, Elijah? Questions are funny with God. You know, those symbols. God, I think he know, you know where he's at. No, he needed, God needed him to answer that question for Elijah's purpose, for his life. He, Elijah needed to ask that question to himself. Why am I here? Why, what got me to this place? It's a very good revealing question to ask ourselves. See, God knew exactly what where he was and his need in his life. And listen to Elijah's response back. We can do this so much. And this about finally, you know, he running from God and forgetting God. God didn't forget him. And he can't run any longer. And he, he replies back this. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, Israel has, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Right? He's at the end. He's just saying, I've been there, done that. I've done all this for you. And here I am. This is what's left in my life. Now we could go, Elijah, you're quite the whiner here. But we have done the same thing, haven't we? We've done the same thing. We can be self-proclaimed martyrs. We say, Lord, I've, all the things I've done, all the years I've served you. You know, I, I go to church every week. Well, almost every week. I, I, I do, I, I give in the offering. I, I treat my kids well. I try not to yell at them sometimes. Sometimes I do. I, I don't kick my dog anymore. I'm good to my grandma. All the lists. And we, we create this list and say, look, look all I've done list. Look what I ha- I've done. I've been the pastor of this church. Why are these people doing this to me, right? We can make a list of explanations and excuses and complaints, but God in his absolute sovereignty loves us enough, loves us enough to ignore the negative. And instead says this, the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains and part shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earth, there came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the, the fire came a gentle whisper. And while Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What's happening? God, where are you? God, where are you? Are you in this? Are you in that? You're in this? He's in a whisper. Now here's the question. Why? Why? Why the whisper? The world clamors for our attention. Notifications, white noise, pulls us in, trying to pull us in. The devil himself, uh, uh, Satan, is the accuser of the brethren. He, he condemns us. You're never going to make, you're not good enough. Why even try? But God comes in a whisper. Why? I think it's a simple answer. It's, it's going to blow your mind how simple it is. It's so simplistic. It's so pure that we can overlook it. The reason is, I believe is this, he's in the whisper because the Lord is near. He doesn't have to shout. He doesn't have to do anything dramatic. The Lord is that near in a whisper. Here's the question. Are you listening to the whisper? Are you listening to that voice of the Spirit speaking to you? Because he's so close. What is he saying to you today? What is he saying to you right now? You're like, oh, I don't know. Can I give you some, some ideas? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always, will always be with you to the very end of the age. I'm near to the brokenhearted and the crushed spirit. I am good. I'm working all things together for good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. Nothing can separate my love for you. No height nor depth nor, nor anything of my love for you in Christ Jesus. Do you hear his whisper? Because it's there. The Lord is near. So do not be anxious about anything. And with that comes this promise. The promise I mentioned before, here's the promise. Do not be anxious about any, because he's near. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace. Peace is the promise when we listen, the Lord is near and that promise is there that we don't have to be anxious because this peace that we have, the peace that we can experience. Here's the thing, the peace that was purchased on the cross for us. In a moment here, our, our team, in fact, they can come now. We're, we're preparing to have a time of communion. Ushers, you can get ready for that. In a moment here, we're going to, we're going to hold symbolically and partake together in something that represents that very peace. But I want to end with this couple thoughts with us as they get ready. Some of you who take notes, you like this. You're like, hey, you left out the, the core truth, today's core truth. Well, here it is, today's core, core truth. When you had enough, Jesus is enough. When you had enough, Jesus is enough. And what he provides enough is his very peace in your life. Peace that's beyond circumstances.
been a lot of death this week. There's been a people, I, I just prayed with a lady who lost her husband here in, uh, just a couple days ago. She was here. My, my aunt passed away last night. There's, there's, a lot, there's, there's some, that, there's, a, there's a couple in our church that their son will, is in hospice and will, will pass away probably any moment unless God does a miracle in his life. We live around, there's, there's, there's anxiety, you're feeling it and all that you're going on. There's this peace that's available and that peace was purchased on the cross through, through what Jesus did for us. in a moment here, you're going to receive, if you'd like, as followers of Jesus, this is for those who, who call themselves Christians that, that believe in Christ and what he's done for their life, that you're going to hold a piece of bread that represents his body, that the cup represents his blood. And if you're, if you're, you're not a follower of Jesus, just, just enjoy this moment. Just, just be a spectator and learn from because this is what believers do. This is, this is something very, very sacred that we do together and that we're going to hold together. And as you hold them, I want you to reflect on this last question is, why are you here? The same question Elisha was asked by the Lord, what are you doing here? And as you reflect on that, begin to just think about, Lord, why am I here? What, what are you saying to me that you're whispering in my ear? And take that to the Lord and allow this to have this intimate moment with God as you hold them. And then we're going to partake together in the culmination as a community and, and, and pray together. Ushers, you can come forward as we do that. Hold them and then we'll, we'll do that together. Set whole theme of, of champion. You know, Elijah, he, he thought he was the champion. Man, he, the conquering was there and he was on the top of his game and how quickly he fell, quickly he put him in a tailspin when adversity came and pressures came and, and it just came to the place realizing he can't go beyond himself. He can't do it himself. He can't fix himself. He needed to look to the one. And even when he ran and even when he, he isolated and even when he f- forgot, God, God met him where he was at. And it wasn't in the dramatic, it wasn't in this big thing, it was this whisper. The whisper that, that he's near to him. And he realized who the real champion is. See, we hold a victory meal here. We hold, we hold what, what Jesus, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the champion. Jesus was enough because of what he did on the very cross for us. The victory that was won, the champion was won that defeated death, that that defeated sin for us, that made us right relationship with God because that peace that he provided through the cross that he purchased was a peace treaty. It It was declaring war is over and it wasn't war over here and war over here. It was the war between us and God, that we were enemies of God. And Christ came to provide that peace. His very blood signed the peace treaty of this new agreement that he made for us on our behalf. He's the champion that provided that for us. And that's what he was communicating with his, his closest followers. And just the moments before he was going to be crucified. That night before he gathered with his disciples. And he, he held up the, the Passover bread that represented so much to them at that moment, but represented not just another sacrifice, but the sacrifice, his very life laid down, the bread of life 
for all of mankind. He says, eat in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are the bread of life, substance of our life. He continued on in the, in the supper and he held up a cup and he really communicated this language. This is a new agreement, a new peace treaty that I'm making between God and man, a new covenant. Sign with my, my blood, drink the shed blood for your sins in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Let's pray together. And as we pray, that I don't know if you had a, a God moment that if he whispered in your ear, but I hope that you hear of the, his love for you, a love beyond you that he provided for you to provide the peace that you can have. As, we, as our heads bowed and eyes closed, just take a moment and assess your life. Do you have peace with God? through the cross of Jesus? Have you received that peace that you have through that peace treaty that Jesus gave for you? That you're in right relationship with the Lord. The war is over. Jesus is a champion. Is he the champion of your life? If he's not, say yes, Lord. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. This very moment, I want peace ultimately comes through you, Lord. But I want to pray for all of us today. And our struggles, and our anxiety, and our worry, and our stress, that we continue to hear the whisper of the Lord that He's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, Lord, we submit our requests to You. And Lord, that Your promise is peace when we do, that passes all understanding that will guard our, our heart, our emotions, our mind, our thoughts in you. Grateful for that promise, Lord. And I pray that, that we would take that peace and that, Lord, we would be peace ambassadors to a hurting, anxious world that's around us, Lord. May we be peace takers and peacemakers. Use our lives in such a way as ambassadors of you because of all that you've done for us, Lord. And that when, Lord, when we've had enough, we just go, Lord, you're enough. That's all we need in you, we pray in Jesus' name.